Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to uh, Cork today. We've got John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Anything you want to chat with us about 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And on the papers today, the front page, the one that sort of stops you in your tracks is the picture, almost half of the front page of the Irish Times. And they have a hundred small little photographs um, and it the photographs are surrounded uh, surrounding a number that says 2006 and the number of people who have now died from COVID-19 in the Republic passed the 200 mark yesterday uh, so the Irish Times today decided to publish 100 photographs of COVID-19 uh, pe- of people who have passed away from COVID-19 representatives of all those whose lives have been lost as a result of the virus that has changed the world uh, so in 2020 and changed the world for a very very long time and the individual story actually can be read on the irishtimes.com forward slash lives at last but it just you look at these photographs and it sort of it puts a face behind all of those numbers I mean when we heard yesterday was it 12 people have passed away which brought us over the 2000 mark you know I certainly stopped and thought, you know, that's 2006 families who've been absolutely uh, devastated and whose lives will never be the same because of COVID-19. So I thought it's really nice what the Irish Times have done. And, and they're putting names to some of these people. And actually on the front page, you know, there's all the pictures and then you can they actually list all of the names, you know, like Thomas Mead, Joseph Jennings, Father John Murphy. Anna O'Sullivan, Joseph Geary and Ignatius and Mary O'Connell obviously a husband and wife who both passed away from COVID-19. Actually talking of husbands and wives passing away with COVID-19 also in the papers today there are photographs of the funeral that took place yesterday in County Tyrone of the couple who died in Derry um, was it Monday or Tuesday of this week? They were uh, Owen and Breach Ward, both 69, and they passed away within 12 hours of each other from COVID-19, leaving behind six uh, children and uh, 12 
six children and nine grandchildren absolutely grieving. They've been 49 years married and neither of them had any underlying health conditions. And at the age of uh, 69, they both ended up in, they were in, in, both ended up obviously in hospital. One appeared to be getting better, then one got worse, then as one was improving, the other started to go uh, downhill. And then they both passed away this week within 12 hours of each other. It's just so desperately, desperately sad. And Dr Tony Hoolan, of course, breaking the news to us that we now had over 2,000 deaths associated with COVID-19. And he says this pandemic has impacted directly and indirectly on families and communities all across the country. He said for the next two weeks, we now, the big push is on. We need to work from home. We need to stay at home and we all need to follow the public health advice. Uh, Neffet also reporting a further 379 confirmed cases of the disease. Actually, we're getting very close to 70,000 cases having been reported in this country. Figures for Cork yesterday were at 27, 116 in Dublin, 38 in Donegal and 30 in Mead with 22 in uh, Limerick. And then when you're looking at the cases 5,708 cases were in the last two weeks. That brings our 14 day incident now to 119 cases per 100,000. Donegal is the highest in incident. There are 295 per 100,000, followed by Limerick at 237. And it's uh, Wexford has the lowest incident. They have 46 per 100,000. And then the people in hospital, as of 2 o'clock yesterday, 282 patients in hospital with COVID-19 and 33 are in the ICU. The numbers admitted to hospital, there was 22 additional hospitalisations and that was in the past uh, 24 hours. But the number of virus outbreaks nearly doubled compared with the previous week. There were 127 clusters of the disease last week. The previous week, the clusters of the disease were at 572 and the number of outbreaks in private homes uh, also more than doubled. The week before they were at 443 and last week they were at 954. And of course, huge talk around where did it all go wrong for us. We were doing so well during the first three weeks, I suppose, of lockdown and of level five. We really seemed to be doing well and we were almost patting ourselves on the back. back. And I wonder, did we all just get a bit complacent because the numbers were coming down? Did we start to say, actually, we're fine, we're, we're, we're great at this lockdown and life will be good and we'll all be out partying and socialising for Christmas? And did we all just take our foot off the, off the pedal? Particularly with the number of household clusters. Households now have become a hotbed for COVID-19 and that's because of the lockdown. People have nowhere else to go and yet we're told we shouldn't be going to other people's houses. We're told we shouldn't have visitors into our houses but obviously for some people they just can't do it and they are having people into their houses. New evidence is showing that people are at higher risk of picking up COVID-19 if you're indoors for a long period with a large numbers, a number of other people. If they're shouting or singing going on combined with poor ventilation and if you're indoors and not wearing face masks doesn't that sound like the ideal setting and would mirror a traditional Christmas get together everybody indoors people shouting and singing poor ventilation the windows and doors are closed because it's freezing outside and nobody's wearing face masks because it's Christmas and everybody's having a jolly good uh, time the international evidence is highlighting that the main factors that contribute to the spread of COVID-19 are indoor settings crowds and 
prolonged contact with others. Most clusters in the last week to 40, last week to two weeks are happening in household settings. The findings have reinforced the importance of adhering to self-isolation practice despite the challenges obviously that that poses um, particularly for those if you are awaiting a test for COVID-19 or if you have any symptoms to suggest it could be COVID-19 you need to self-isolate and it just seems that not everybody is getting that uh, message didn't we only a few weeks ago uh, talk about the fact of a doctor in it was a doctor in Cork City wasn't it who rang a patient to say the tests were, ba- were back and she did have COVID-19 and obviously he was going to go through with her what would happen and how contact tracing would contact her but more importantly he was going to go through what she would be doing now for the next 14 days or however many days were left and he heard noise in the background and said where are you and she said oh I'm out in the supermarket doing my shopping and he said would you just r- remove yourself from the supermarket and get home and this was a woman who had gone forward for a COVID-19 test and still thought it was okay to go out and about. So for some reason, that message just not getting through to uh, everyone. And then the Irish Association of Funeral Directors, they've admitted to seeing breaches of COVID guidelines by mourners during wakes and funerals. And they are saying that it is particularly happening in rural areas, more than urban areas. Uh, A spokesperson for the Association of Funeral Directors, a lady by the name of Mary Conniff, said wakes were in particular a source of concern along with families advertising the details of wakes and funerals on social media. She said, in addition, uh, people are turning up to funerals not wearing masks. They're not adhering to social distancing. And she said the hand, hand hygiene measure just seems to go out the door when people are attending funerals. She says that the association was disappointed, but they weren't surprised to hear our Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan cite funerals regarding the recent spate of coronavirus outbreaks in some parts of the country. But she said it's the family wakes where the concern is and she says that's something as an association of funeral directors they have absolutely no control over. She said people should not feel any pressure to attend a family home to pass on your condolences. She's, you know, when Dan says other ways to send your condolences, you can a simple telephone call, you can send flowers, you can send a cars, there's lots of online ways that you can offer your uh, condolences. And of course, under level five, only 25 people can attend uh, a funeral. And she said the churches and the crematoriums and the clergy are all strictly enforcing that, but it's what's happening back at the people's houses, be the wake you know, the night before the funeral or following the funeral, people are inviting people back to homes. Our large families are all getting together and deciding we'll go to one person's uh, house. And it's just, it's such a tough time if you are losing, if you've lost a loved one. I mean, I'm thinking of that family yesterday in County Tyrone who buried, you know, their mother and their father you know, a double funeral for them. And I'm just thinking of their six children and the nine grandchildren. I mean, following such a devastating thing to happen to that family, the one thing they would want to do is all be together. But what the uh, the advice would be that each of those, each of the six children, along with their own children, would go home to their own houses and not all meet together. And I'm not saying that that's not what they did. But it's you can understand why people gather together when, when there's that kind of grief uh, going on. But of course, then the last thing you want 
is to be offering support and trying to support each other and for somebody to bring COVID-19 into that setting and then everybody brings it back into their own uh, homes. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls this morning. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Ron, on the programme today, we're going to be talking about food waste. This is a survey that's out that is showing that every household in this country on average we're throwing out 700 euro worth of waste food every year. 700 euro. It's an incredible sum of money. I mean, if you were to be handed 700 uh, euro and so and, and somebody would say, throw that in the bin, you can't spend it, you have to throw it in the bin. You, you'd be thinking, oh, throw 700 euro in the bin. And that's seemingly what we're doing every year. So we're going to try and get some tips and ways around it. And how do we stop wasting so much food? And by stopping the waste, that's an extra 700 euro in your pocket to spend on whatever you want to spend it on. And then I got a lovely... And I'm assuming that uh, Nicola heard me mention that we'd be talking about food waste. Or maybe she didn't. But anyway, she sent on uh, a WhatsApp to me. Uh, earlier on in, I think it was during the summer, was at the end of the summer, we had uh, a lady called Sabina joined me on the programme. She was from the farmer's market in Mallow and they were looking for new stall holders to join them. If there was anybody out there who had any kind of food items that they would like to sell at a weekly farmer's market in Mallow to contact Sabina. So I had a chat with Sabina all about farmer's markets. And that led to Nicola, one of our listeners, contacting me during the interview to say that she had ornamental pears in her garden and would they be of any use to Sabina because Sabina makes chutney. So he said, Sabina, oriental pears, are they of any use to you? They're edible pears. And Sabina said, God, I'd absolutely love them. So we put Nicola in contact with Sabina. Sabina collected the or ornamental pears and off Sabina went when Nicola has just sent Liam a photograph to say that Sabina from the farmer's market sent on a photograph to Nicola with chutney made from Nicola's pears in her garden and it looks like the most gorgeous delicious pear chutney it lo- and I'm a big fan of chutneys I don't know I know chutneys is, not everybody's into chutneys I love I think because I love cheese so much and cheese and chutney oh mouth-watering absolutely gorgeous uh, so well done thank you Nicola for that but there's a way of rather than waste of food that you know going into a compost heap or going into the organic food bin there was a great connection that we managed to be able to do on the programme uh, earlier on in the year so thank you Nicola for that and actually somebody else on food waste Jane to Cyprus, Patricia I heard you you're going to be talking about food waste on the programme today I agree with you it's absolutely gone mad since lockdown uh, in our house we're eating less fruit for some reason I have three cats and two dogs and lots of local birds and a massive compost unit so no real waste but bananas every six weeks I get one overripe banana you get one spoon of olive oil one spoon of castor oil one egg one spoon of coconut oil you blend them all together and what do you do with it no you don't eat it you apply it to your hair for a an hour. It makes your hair soft and uh, shiny uh, says Jane and obviously you wash your hair as normal after. It's a hair mask. You're making your own hair mask and some of those hair masks to buy are really, really expensive. So there's a homemade one that she could do with an overripe banana that you probably would be putting in the bin or into your compost bin anyway. Instead of doing that, put it on your hair. So one ripe banana a spoon of olive oil, castor oil, and coconut oil and an egg. Blend it all together. 
pop it on your hair and it makes your hair soft and shiny. Thank you for that, Jane. I will make a note of that and I shall try that one myself. Thank you for that uh, tip. And also, earlier on in the year, we had an email in from Mara, one of our listeners. Well, Mara has been back on to us this week to say, Good day, Patricia. Earlier this year, I contacted you about my pesky chaffinch bird that had taken up residence outside my husband's office window. He was constantly pecking on the window. Do you remember that? I do indeed. Your lovely listeners had fabulous suggestions, which we followed up on. We bought a fake owl and put him outside on the windowsill. We put a stuffed animal in the window and we moved it around the house throughout the day. We set out food elsewhere in the yard. They all worked for a few days, but then the chaffinch was back. He was having none of it. He even attacked and destroyed the fake owl, pecking holes in the plastic and knocking him off the windowsill. <laughs> we gave up in August trying to get rid of him. It's November now and Chaffee, as my husband calls him, is still here most days. He's gorging on the peasant berry bush lately. And yes, he is still pecking on the window too. It's become a laugh at this stage. Nature wins as it should do. All the best to you and your listeners from uh, Mara. Goodness me, sent on our best wishes to Chaffee. He wasn't giving up and everything. And, and I remember we had loads and loads of people coming up with suggestions as to what to do. And many people had said that to put a stuffed animal in the window or the fake bird. And lots of people said, oh, very same thing happened to me. And as soon as it, I did that, it worked. And it did work for a few days. But that Chaffinch, that ch- little Chaffee, the Chaffinch, just wasn't giving up. He's just in love with that area and he's staying and he ain't moving. He ain't going anywhere. Thank you, Mara, for giving us the update on that to Patricia at c103.ie. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. 1850 333 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Many returns on recovery, but for others, it can be a long-term loss. Declan Cassidy is from County Meath and he joins me to share his story, which has actually prompted him to set up an online support group. Good morning to you, Declan. Good morning to you, Declan. Oh, good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can indeed. You're, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose let me start by talking to you about your COVID story. When did you test positive for COVID-19 and how bad were your symptoms? It was back in March um, that that I, I contracted it and it was about a 10-day uh, journey. It started off with just a, a bit of a cough and then it peaked after about seven days where I thought I'd, I'd uh, have to call an ambulance. Uh, I was... I was pretty bad that night and everything was soaked with, with a fever. But the next day, uh, things improved. And um, I, I, I suppose about three or four days later, I, I, I felt up to kind of getting up and moving about and and trying to, to cook something uh, decent. And the, the, the loss of taste and smell, was that an early symptom or did that happen as you were starting to almost feel better? Well, I'm not exactly sure when it kicked in because during those kind of 10 days, I, I had no appetite and I, I was pretty much in bed just, you know, listening to audiobooks. Um, and I, I'd kind of, uh, I, I live alone here, so I was making my way down and just grabbing something cold, um, bread and, and, and whatever, but I didn't really have an appetite. And it wasn't until I, I, I started feeling better 
that um, uh, I, I decided to do two things. And one was to cook a, a big healthy stew because I, I felt very run down and thought that would help. Yeah. Um, and the other was to uh, to clean the house. So the first the first hint was when I cooked the stew, and I I, I pride myself on my on my on my cooking, and uh, it was awful. And I, I kept putting salt in, and it was just really bland and awful. Um, and then I, I went to clean the bathroom, and I got some detergents out. And uh, after a minute or two, I just started coughing violently and, and realised that I was being overcome by fumes I couldn't smell. So, Whoa! Yeah, so the, 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 the penny dropped and I, I went to my uh, my aftershave and uh, and, and took, took a good sniff from the bottle and there was nothing, absolutely nothing. So uh, it, it kind of explained everything then. And you're, you were one of the early people to get COVID-19 when you say you got it in March. At that stage, were we talking about loss of taste and smell? Not at all, no. Ah. Um, I, 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 I had no idea, and um, I, I, you know, my my initial thought was that it, it might be, you know, just a, a build up of whatever in the in the nasal system that that was, you know, because um, I think you know, smell. I, I'm aware smell and taste are, are uh, connected. But I started researching it, and then it was really through social media there were there were people around the world complaining about it, and uh, it, it was a couple of it was a few weeks I think before it, it actually became an acknowledged um, symptom. No, yeah, because I, I I know of somebody whose husband had had travelled overseas and came back and said, this is kind of around May maybe, said, I think we're in trouble. I can't smell anything. And that, that right. was actually his very first symptom was he wasn't, he had no cough, no fever, no nothing. But he suddenly realised I can't smell anything. And then when he went to taste something, he couldn't taste it. So, so yeah, but in, when you yeah. got diagnosed, it, wa- it wasn't being spoken about. OK, so then you obviously thought it'll, it'll just come back. Absolutely. And um uh, I, I just I just waited because um, my my recovery actually went from you know being quite flat to being you know up to thirty forty percent feeling right and I just kept it, kept thinking everything will continue but it didn't um, for for uh, I suppose it's maybe a month ago that I've been feeling pretty much back to normal. But, but um, I'd say up until then, for, for perhaps seven months, I was fatigued. I had the, you know, sitting up at night, breathing difficulties. So I came back, but not fully. So I, I kind of thought that the smell and taste would start coming back with everything else. I was, I realised I was still kind of having a lot, having long ter- longer term effects. But everything else has kind of been set to rights and uh, the, the smell and taste is, is, is still gone. So now um, there are a whole load of people coming forward. Uh, that, that Anosmia is the, is, is, is the word for losing your taste. I, I say it again, anosmia. Anosmia, yeah. Okay. And, and um, there, there are people who've had it, um, a, lo- a lot of them have had it as the result of a viral infection. So, so this is where COVID kicks in. But they've, they've been such a rare bunch, really, in the, in the overall population that I'd never heard anything about it. But now, having set up the Facebook group, um, there are people who've maybe for 10 years been suffering for this, or five years, or, or, or whatever. And uh, there's, a, there's a great surge of relief, I think, in, in all of us, because um, I didn't particularly know anybody who was going through the same thing. And um, when I set up the group, um, there were about I, I've about a thousand uh, uh, friends uh, in, in quotes <laughs> on, on Facebook. Wow. And I think, I and think they're not, as you say, they're not all COVID related. These oh, are, oh, these no, are. no, no. And yeah, how, I, I, but talk yeah. to me, Declan, how does it affect your life not to have a sense of taste or a sense of smell? 
Well, there are a couple of things, and particularly now in the, in the environment we're in. Um, first of all, I, I was a real foodie, and um, I, 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 the, the pleasure has just gone out. Um, I, I kind of eat because I have pain in, in my stomach for, for um, you know, of hunger, so I, I have to eat. But there's, there's no anticipation, there's no pleasure. And during um, the, the first lockdown, I was all over the banana bread stuff. I was, <laughs> you know, I, I was that guy, you know, and, and uh, it was a real comfort uh, pottering around the kitchen in, in, in lockdown. And that, that's, that's gone. So the, the difficulty now is that um, uh, it, there's a mental health, I think, implication because people are um, are suffering under all sorts of difficulties at this time on a global scale. Um, so before COVID, if you had an unusual problem, you, you'd turn around and talk to people and there'd be a lot of support and, and you know, um, You'd, you'd feel you'd feel you could talk to people, but now there are people labouring under such difficulties that just to say I can't taste my food seems, uh, if you excuse the pun, it seems quite quite bland, you know. I know, um, so, yeah. So, so so you don't want to really talk about it, um, um, and yet it is a real mental health uh, thing because there's very little else joyful about, and especially coming into Christmas. I mean, Christmas for me was where I really let loose, and I've all my favourites, and and Christmas is so much about family, but also about food, and um, the, the family is up in the air, and the food is gone. So uh, it, it's it's That's quite it's quite a dark. Well, that, that Stuff. What are doctors saying to you, Declan? Um, doctors generally shrug their, shrug their shoulders. I, my, my doctor's great and was super during um, during COVID. But all, all they've all they've done really, all they can do um, is, is refer you to um, an ENT specialist. And uh, but 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 while while that appointment was being made, I, I was already warned not to not to hope for much. You know. Um, so, so there's not really that much, and that's another reason I set up the group because I, I reckon if there are enough of us now, and 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 we're in the hundreds, if there are enough of us now, um, we might be able to not only help each other, support each other, and give each other ideas of what works for, for you know for each other, but also provide a body that can perhaps show that research is um, something that that could be funded and that's going to be worthwhile because there are a lot of us out there. Absolutely, you know? absolutely, I. See saw you on the news the other night chilies on your porridge yeah chilies and everything <laughs> oh, is that about, can, and I, so is are you just about tasting chilies yeah um, I, I I have I have um, a certain amount of saltiness a certain amount of sweetness and a certain amount of spice and the problem is that I need a lot of any of those to actually register so I, I don't want to be eating that quantity of salt or sugar or, or I'd, I'd have all sorts of health problems yeah. so so the spice is the one thing that I can really uh, go to town on and uh, apparently green chilies are uh, more healthy than red chilies okay. if you have quantities of them so so it, it, it's the jalapenos and, uh, and they they, they go they go into everything just to give me a sense that I'm tasting something. My yeah. God, and, and porridge. Yeah, well, 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 you know, the, the, if you think about what combinations you put together, you put them together because of taste. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and when the taste is gone, then all of a sudden things that would have seemed ridiculous before, uh, you know, suddenly start to make more sense. And for a long time, I was just eating. I was just eating bread because to, to get rid of the hunger pains. And I put on about a stone, stone <laughs> and a half or something, you know. Yeah. So, so it's only it's only recently that uh, you know, as I've started to, to to kind of recover from the fatigue and the other COVID symptoms, I've realised that. Uh, diet is such a, a big part of, of you know being being healthy.
healthy and, and, and recovering. So I've started to try and, and uh, eat the right things, even if I can't taste them. But uh, the, 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 the chilies are like, uh, in the same way that people put salt on things, I put chilies on things. You know. Were you uh, a cup of coffee in the morning, man? I, I, I was definitely a cup of coffee in the morning, uh, man. And, and when I say I can't taste anything, um, I suppose about six weeks ago, one single taste kicked in. And that taste can be for all sorts. Of, I mean, a rotten fish could, could smell the same way as a flower. It's this one, one, one smell, one taste. But it's not quite pleasant. It's, it's like cellulose or petrol or, you know, some sort of metallic. It's some sort of strange. Coffee is one of the things, unfortunately, that has that taste and smell. Ah. Yeah. So that's, that's a goner. So that's, that's a goner. That's a, that's a goner. Well, it, yeah. so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you. And you'd no underlying health condition, Declan, did you before? No, I, no. I, I, was, I, look, I wasn't running uh, marathons, but I was completely fit. I, I, I think I've been to the doctor more since March than I had in the 10 years before that. You know, yeah. um, I had I, no, no issues. I, 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 I sail, I, I swim. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but, but I did. You know, I sailed and I, and I swam and I, I, I walked and I, I did all sorts. So I, I just, you know, I, I was busy and I, I, ate, I ate well enough, you know. Uh, I, I loved my food, you know. Um, but, uh, That's it, what it, makes it, it harder for you. That's really what makes Do you know how you contracted COVID? Do you have um, any idea? I, my, my, my girlfriend lives in Berlin and uh, just, you know, March was before the travel restrictions yeah. and before the, before the government thing. So it seemed like things might be heading that way. So I had decided that uh, I had a business thing and I, uh, you know, I combined the two and thought I'd make one trip over. And I was really, really careful. I had the, the hand sanitizer. But at that stage uh, on the flight back, nobody was wearing masks. Uh, people were still sitting three to a seat. Um, so, so I have an idea that... Uh, that, that, you know, they say five to six days uh, is the is the normal uh, incubation period. Um, I'd, I'd been in I'd been in Malaga the month before, um, but that was be- that was outside of the fourteen days. So if you say five to six days, it was probably Berlin. I was in Berlin at that time. And your girlfriend didn't get it, did she? Um, my, my my girlfriend may have um, she uh, she she had a she had a sniffle, but she never got tested. And um, you know, a lot of people are asymptomatic. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not sure. We're not sure. Yeah, and that's the that's the really dreadful thing about this uh, virus. You don't know. One person can, as you say, maybe just have a sniffle, may have no symptoms at all, and then somebody can end up having to take to the bed like you did, not barely able to move, and then to be left with this loss of taste and smell. You just you just don't know. Yeah, and 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 Patricia, I think that's the thing that's missing um, in 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 this in the same way that perhaps the smoking campaign says, you know, you, you know, smoking can kill you. It doesn't say that you might have twenty really rotten years, at the, you know, from, from at the end of your life from smoking. In the same way, I think COVID. Uh, People are talking about, you know, it, it, it could kill you or whatever. But, but you know, this long lingering difficulty—it's—it's a—it can be a life-changing thing. I—I I, I don't know if I'll—if I'll ever recover my taste and smell. But the, the world is definitely a, a different place for me um, without without that. And I, I would never have appreciated how much taste and smell meant because I never had to think about it before. But 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 it is a, it is a life-changing thing. Please God, it will return. And and as you say, enough people talking about it researchers will start kicking in to try and come up with some kind of a solution uh, some kind of a cure and I'm assuming you haven't seen your girlfriend since have you Declan? 
No, no. Uh, thankfully we have uh, we have FaceTime and 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 all of that type not of thing. It's not the same. <laughs> yeah. Listen, life will get better for you, please God. Listen, we, I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Uh, to anyone who would like to interact with you on the Facebook, your Facebook page is called. Well, well, the, the easiest thing is tastelesscuisine.com because okay. there's a link there to the Facebook page. So tastelesscuisine.com. All right. Listen, thanks a million for talking to us. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Isn't he lovely? That's uh, Declan Cassidy from uh, County Meath who uh, fully recovered thankfully from COVID but left with this long-term loss of taste and uh, smell. Just dreadful, dreadful. 1850-333-103. I'm just being told that works at the pump station uh, may cause supply disruption to Newbury, Clyde, uh, areas of Mallow and the surrounding areas until about one o'clock today. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now the M20 Cork to Limerick motorway is due to be published today. A move that's been welcomed by a number of North Cork councillors who feel the hold-up has stifled growth in the region. Fine Gael councillor Lee Madden joins me to discuss this and also uh, to discuss the need for better rural bus uh, services. Good morning to you Liam. Good morning. Uh, and and, and you're, well, you're welcome to the programme. How many routes have been looked at as a possible option? Um, at present, it's up to nine routes, uh, which we hope today will be cut back to uh, about three routes. Um, and I suppose there's a huge study area uh, entailed in all that all along. And I suppose that leads on to in relation to all the plannings that have been held up. And I suppose... If you look at plannings, I suppose, look, there, there has been a certain area sterilised in it for the last 10 years as well because when the original motor was picked in um, the, the, the M20, it, it basically, look, a lot of people um, can't get planning on that route or they can't set a home. And what, it was impossible to get planning in case the route was going to be used in the area where you wanted your planning? Was that, was, that's was, what was wrong? It was very, um, I mean, people were, if, if you know the route was coming... Uh, ten years ago, when it was picked, uh, people weren't inclined to to get planning there. Um, as well as that, they, they found it hard to sell houses along that route as well. You know, so the important thing now is is that we, if we get a defined route, which would be, I think, around February, the, the one single route, and that the motorway is done. I suppose that's the most important thing because if otherwise, again, we will have a land bank sterilised again. You know, that's it's it's crazy though, Lean, that this has been allowed to go on for so long, isn't it? For ten years. Yeah, I I, I agree. And and the, the big thing with it this time is that if if the three big main parties want to sit down, and and the funding, it, this motorway will never happen. You know that mm. that is the big, and and the other thing I suppose look. That will lead on to maybe if the motorway doesn't happen, there's going to be other things looked at. There's going to be probably options of better rail services, which which are all down in East Cork, but not not in North Cork. And we have five stations that are closed there at present, stretching from um, Blarney down to Ballyhay, which are all closed, which could be all opened up and which could actually take a lot of the traffic actually off the present in 20. And there is a big push at the moment to get people off the roads and on on to public transport but in order to do that you have to have the public transport available to people. Yeah I I, I agree and and I suppose that's that's the thing since I became a councillor there we've been trying very hard and I suppose the the expressway bus which 
runs along the N20. Unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't stop it along a lot of the routes. One one route in particular is New Tupet House there. It does stop at Mellow Hospital, but New Tupet House, there is a petition actually from over 344 people and there's a lot of industry out there and a lot of, and you know... And there is a bus stop there. Yeah, um, it doesn't stop, unfortunately. It's, there, there's only a bus that comes a couple of times a week, which is, um, it used to be called the Newcastle bus, West bus one time, there's the 243. But the other bus passes every hour, unfortunately. It stops in Butterwind, it stops in Charfel, Bury, down along, and unfortunately um, in in Grinna as well, which is missed out as well, where, where there is a bus stop on the main road, that expressway bus does not stop. But that leads on, I suppose, to, I suppose, people started looking in, and I suppose people out there looked at the ways they could do this better. So there's, there's an express, do Hello Express now is coming in, they're a private operator. Okay. Operating a bus service, I suppose, um, six days a week, three times um, every day, and I suppose the the thing about it, it, it leaves Borbui, which is early in the morning. Borbui, no market in Kentuck, and Ruskeen, and Mallow. They're stops that they have been re- secured already, but they're trying to secure um, two more from the council now, one in Morn Abbey and one in Red Duff. And I suppose the beauty about that bus is that it arrives into Cork at 7.30. It comes out in the evening at 5.20 as well. There's one coming out at 5.20. So the working student. day, the working day is covered there for most people. It, it is. And, and yeah. look, it will cover some students as well. I know we were in the COVID and things now, but, you know, when things get back to Yeah, it. yeah. And I suppose the thing about it, 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 it's great to see someone, you know, making that, doing that initiative coming out there because it, it's like you're talking back into Hello, way back into Hello from Waterbury. Um, but it would be to mellow people and you know, more nebby people and um, greener people. It could, it could be a very important yeah. initiative. And know? as with all of those rural services, use it or lose it, we need local people to to use that bus service. You, you do. And I think it's priced well as well. That's another thing as well, you know, for 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 students as well, you know. So it, it is, um, I think the time, the time you is, is, you know, it's to start in November the 30th. And I suppose, look, it's, it's to get the word out there as well because, look, um, there is a lot of these services down in West Cork and I suppose East Cork is covered by plenty of railway stops, which we have, unfortunately, but they're not opened, you know, and it, it's, I, I see all these opening up in time and, you know, you talk about a motorway, maybe a lot of our traffic will, people will go in now to Cork that way. Um, maybe the Mallow to Cork mightn't be as, it might be more from, from Mallow to, to Limerick itself, but the big thing with the M20 no matter what happens, is around Cork City itself. They, they, they need to be the link to finish there because there's no point in having an M20 if you have traffic just coming to a stop still when they get into the city. Mm. And, and even with everything going according to plan, we're many, many years away from driving on the on the M20. Yeah, but yeah, look, let's, let's not take away from the route options uh, to be published uh, today. They're going to be published this morning. Yeah. Um, there obviously will be uh, public consultation, but not the normal in-person con- consultation. No, it's all gone online, yeah, yeah. isn't it? The, the last time I know that I was hugely involved here myself as, as chairperson of Mornaby Community Council, and I know that down along Bushman and other areas, because the big problem there was a lot. They had to get in on and off of the motorway, which the community secured at the time, which was, you know, there was a lot of hard work put into it. And, you know, we if, if, if it's not that route, we will obviously have to go back again and see the plans. And, you know, because that's important that 
these towns and villages will have an, that are on the present, you know, that they will have an on and off onto the motorway, you know. Okay. All right. Listen, uh, Liam, uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining yeah, us. And Patricia, uh, congratulations on your 30 years <laughs> as well very much. on the broadcast. Thanks very much. You're very kind. Yeah. Take thank care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That bye. is uh, Councillor Liam Madden with the M20 route options uh, published today. Yes. Cork today. Cork today. If you're out and about tonight in the city and you're anywhere near Cork City Hall and it's within your 5k for exercising and all of that, keep a lookout uh, because the Cork City Hall are going to light up in the C103 colours of purple and yellow to celebrate our 30th anniversary and 30 years on air. And we really, really do appreciate that. So thanks to everybody involved in Cork City Hall for lighting up in purple and yellow uh, tonight. As I say, much appreciated. A couple of listeners on looking for help and advice. Chris in Newmarket was on to say, Hi Patricia, would any of your listeners be able to help me please? I had an email address with aircom.net until they started charging for us. So what did I do? I changed to a Gmail account. Everything going fine but the problem I now have is I need to retrieve an old email that I got sent to that Aircom account earlier in the year. I can't seem to be able to contact anybody at Air. If anyone could give me a number where I could actually talk to a real person thanking you. That's from Chris in at Newmarket. I know John Paul's advice always with people trying to deal with Air, just stay on the line. Um, Chris, I know it is desperately frustrating, even though yesterday I mentioned that Air said it is their priority to offer a better customer service and uh, they're saying that last week it was only 10 minutes was a wait time but people, when I mentioned that yesterday, people were telling me uh, different things. So I would get back on to Air, the number you have and just keep trying, just have a little bit of patience but I also mentioned it to see has this happened to anybody else because I know earlier in the year we discussed that, we discussed the fact that uh, Aircom.net were going to charge for their email accounts and they gave kind of a three month lead in to it so that people could switch over to one of the free. I mean, most people have an email account and it's free of uh, charge. Air seemed to be one of the first to charge for this facility but we certainly we, we mentioned it and a lot of people did exactly what Chris did rather than pay for it, particularly when you can get that service for free from places like Gmail. I can understand why you switched uh, over. But I'm wondering, did anybody else, has anybody else ended up in the same situation where you cancelled your aircom.net email account and then you needed to access something from it? Were you able to get it back? Did it, has that happened to anybody else? If so, let us know so we could offer advice to uh, Chris. And Chris, let us know how you get on uh, with it, please. 1850 And Cathy in Mallow wants to know, anybody else having problems trying to purchase the PS5, the new PlayStation 5 that went on sale this morning. Cathy's been trying major retailers and various other online sites having no luck so far. And John Paul tells me Cathy was the first call we had in about the PlayStation 5 and that was followed up by a few more calls from others as well. I'm told it's on a number of Santa Claus lists for Christmas. 
and some parents are having problems which leads me to believe that Santa Claus may be having some problems trying to locate PS5. So did anybody manage to buy a PlayStation 5 this morning? If so, where did you get it so that we can direct Cathy and Mallow and some of our other listeners so that they are able to purchase same, please. Now, here's a good one in from John and I am interested in your thoughts on this, please. John has contacted the programme this morning to say, Patricia, did you hear on the news yesterday the crazy price of feeding the animals in Dublin Zoo and now the people at Dublin Zoo want the money from the government. They want the government to fund the upkeep of Dublin Zoo. And just in case that this wasn't on your radar yesterday, the government is considering a bailout for a Dublin Zoo over fears that the popular visitor attraction could be forced to close its gates due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And John is right. Dublin Zoo announced yesterday that its costs for feeding the animals every month is a half a million euro, 500,000 euro a month. And that's to cover the feed and care of the animals. So I know there was an an appeal went out, uh, yes, a public appeal went out yesterday. I know when I last checked it yesterday, they'd nearly raised a million and that was on one day. That, I suppose, will show you how much Dublin Zoo is loved. The Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, in the doll yesterday said the zoo's closure would be devastating for local employment and to tourism. She said the zoo is one of our key tourist attraction, not to mention a very special place that Dublin Zoo occupies for children and families for generations right across the island. And she was calling on Micheál Martin to step up. There had been a suggestion of a half a million euro fund for zoos and she said that simply isn't enough and appealed to Micheál Martin to intervene and Micheál Martin speaking in the doll said yesterday that it had been some time since the zoo had benefited from state capital funding and Micheál Martin says in my view given the extraordinary circumstances of a global pandemic a uh, hundred year event that the government has to intervene here and to work with Dublin Zoo to make sure that it is available for generations to come. And he says, Micheál Martin said yesterday, the Taoiseach, I intend to act on that. So we just don't know how much the government is going to give uh, Dublin Zoo. But the government is also engaging with Photo Wildlife uh, Park here in uh, Cork in their efforts to, to support the sector. Because obviously if Dublin Zoo is struggling, we're photo wildlife will be in the same position. Anyway, that's the story that John is contacting us about this morning. But he is not happy about the notion and idea that the government would actually offer funds to Dublin Zoo. So I go back to John's comment into us this morning. He said, wouldn't it be more in their line to release the animals back into the wild where they came from and give the money to struggling charities, the likes of our own Cork Penny Dinners, to help feed human people, not animals. This country is severely broke and we can't afford the zoo at the moment. Won't there be an ex- won't this be an expensive toy to have by the time all that money is borrowed and is paid back with interest? We need to be saving lives at the moment. We've lost over 2,000 Irish people already due to COVID-19. Feed the people. We can't afford expensive pets. Patricia, please don't let your heart rule your brain on this one. It's time to get tough in this country. Too many unnecessary debts, says John, who really cannot understand why we would be, why the government would be even considering bailing out Dublin Zoo. Now, I welcome your thoughts and I'm wondering how many people are with John on this one. Bearing in mind, a half a million euro 
a month. They're going to, Dublin Zoo are going to need a major bailout. I mean, even with the public appeal that they made yesterday of the one million, that will feed and look after the animals for two months. So that will do them for, say, November, December and into uh, January. It is going to be, realistically, many, many months before Dublin Zoo is back up and running and that people feel comfortable and confident enough and the numbers are up going through the gates of Dublin Zoo to make the money that they will require from the admission fee to raise that half a million. It's a staggering sum of money, but it's not the animals' fault. They don't understand. But I don't know, John, your point about could we not just release the animals back into the wild? I don't know if that is possible. Those animals have been in captivity. Many of them have been bred in captivity. So they can never be released into the wild. They wouldn't have a clue how to fend for themselves in the wild. So I don't think the solution is to release them back into the wild. And I don't know what the other solution would be if Dublin Zoo, if, say, for whatever reason, the Taoiseach and the government decided, no, we're with John on this one. We need money to keep humans alive. We can't help you. We don't have the money. And if the good people of Ireland don't trump up the money, which the million they've already done uh, yesterday. How do you close a zoo? Because I'm assuming zoos all over the world, you know, our closest would be the big London Zoo. And I'm assuming London Zoo is in the very same situation that Dublin Zoo is in, in that their gates are closed, but they still have the costs of feeding and caring for the animals every month. So if you decide to close the zoo, it isn't as easy as ringing other zoos, is it, to say... Listen, we've eight elephants here. Do you want them? I, I, I don't know. I actually don't know how you close down a zoo. Anyway, that's an aside. So who's with John? Who thinks that it is madness for the government to, with the situation we're in at the moment in this country, it is madness for the government to even consider offering any kind of state support to the zoo? Or are you with what looked like a lot of support in Dáil Air? And I don't think I heard anybody say, don't give money to Dublin Zoo. Are you with like the likes of the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, making a big call on behalf of Dublin Zoo and the Taoiseach himself standing up and saying, you know, we won't be found wanted. He intends to act on helping Dublin Zoo and FOTA. Your thoughts welcomed on that, please. 1850-333-103. Some of your calls already into the uh, programme. We're going to be talking about waste food in this hour of the programme. Eleanor says, I feed foxes with my leftover food, but four or five of them turn up. I leave the food out at half past eight every evening. And they devour it all and off they go on their merry way. When I was talking about COVID and the rise in cases again in this country and where did it all go wrong in this uh, lockdown? This is, I don't know there's a name on this saying, Patricia, no wonder people are getting complacent. People have lost their jobs. People are human at the end of the day and can only take so much and can take only take so much of rules and reg- regulations. People who already obeyed the first lockdown to the letter of the law and were model citizens. They are the same ones who are now driving beyond the 5k and doing what they like. People simply can't take it anymore. So I do think people realise and I do think people realise how serious COVID is but at this stage people are People are just trying to get on with their own lives. No amount of lockdown is going to change that. You only have to look at the traffic on the roads every morning. It is as busy as normal. And certainly anyone who travels on any of the main roads in the morning will say 
that when this second lockdown happened, there was no difference on the traffic on the road, whereas the first lockdown, there was a marked difference. There was little or no traffic on the road. But you, if you're out in the mornings now, there are as many people. The, this certainly level five lockdown didn't seem to have made any difference certainly on those travelling to and uh, from work. Mary in Dunmanway says since COVID-19 she's been doing her level best to support local. She said I've always been a fan of supporting local but I feel now more than ever we need to all shop local. But, says Mary, I feel some businesses may be ripping their customers off and in particular she wants to talk about ink cartridges. She said in one place that she goes to buy her ink cartridges the ink cartridges has increased by 20 euro. She said she was paying 60 euro just for a standard black cartridge. She decided to shop around and she has managed to get it cheaper. But she's wondering, have others noticed that and do they feel that some businesses are taking advantage on the likes of people working from home and students studying from home and the things like that, anything to do with a home computer or a home office or students studying from home have others noticed that those kind of items have gone up in price and is it, is it the businesses that are ripping people off or not? Well, you've done the right thing. If you can find it cheaper and you're still managing to shop locally, that is the way to go. I mean, if a business is doing what you're saying and are ripping people off, and by the way, there's, I, I don't, it probably is, I'm not disputing that it's not going on, Mary, but I think in the main it's in a very small number of places because people will just move to somewhere else if they think they're being ripped off and also people will remember if they feel they have been ripped off because you know life will return to normal and hopefully that will be sooner rather than later and people don't forget things like that so I think most businesses are quite smart about it and I would hate to think that the majority of businesses, and I don't believe the majority of businesses are ripping people off, I think it would be a very, very small minority. And Mary in New Tupot House was delighted to hear uh, Councillor Liam Madden talk about the need for more buses to stop at New Tupot House. She said, I'm sick of talking about it. We have a bus stop in New Tupot House, just outside of Mallow, and yet very few buses service that bus stop. It is very annoying. And David in Canturk was in- interested to hear Liam talk about the Tohalo Express badly needed for the Cantork and Bantir area. So many people are travelling to Cork City from work. It would be great to do it on the bus and to be able to get the bus home earlier as well rather than being stuck in traffic in your own car. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Jobs. A full-time sous chef and a part-time trainee chef are required for a busy kitchen environment that's in Mallow. A ground worker with shuttering experience required that's in West Cork, while a receptionist is required for a veterinary practice in the North Cork area. And a construction worker wanted to help a stone mason and other trades in the Ballyhowra area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 And by the way, when we're talking about the amount of traffic on the road and people are saying it's a huge difference this time round to say the last uh, lockdown, uh, one listener is saying, uh, Tr- Teresa is saying, uh, traffic this time is caused by more people working than were working in the first lockdown. And thank God for that, said Teresa, especially the teachers and the students are all travelling to and from school. So that would explain why there's so much traffic on the road and the difference when people are saying how much traffic is on the road now compared to the first lockdown. Now, the average Irish household is losing up to €700 every year by throwing out food that could be eaten. To discuss the findings of a survey conducted by the Environmental Protection Agency and joined by environmental scientist uh, Odile LeBlanc. Good morning to you, Odile. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you are welcome. Why is bread one of the most wasted foods in this country? Do we simply buy too much of it? This is, look, this is the, the, the reason for all food is we buy too much and we don't use it on time. And I think this is what happens. People with bread in particular, you know, you, first thing you see when you go into a shop is lovely freshly baked bread. And, you know, that's great. Buy it by all means. But I suppose plan on using it. And if you don't use it, you can pop it in the freezer. It's just something that, you know, we, we kind of start with lovely fresh and then it starts to deteriorate as the week goes on. And maybe we don't eat as much of it as we thought we were going to eat. Yeah, and gosh, we remember during the first lockdown the rush on the run on bread, and even and even do you remember the big freeze? Like That's for right. Whatever oh. it is, we all rush out to buy bread and gotta have, have bread. Yeah, gotta have bread. But the but the one of the simple solutions is freeze the bread. Yeah, look, I think what we found in in our survey is actually that most people, about 68% of people said that passing its use-by date is the top reason they throw away food at home. And I suppose we wanted to highlight this, first of all, that not to get caught out by use-by date, but also a handy way of, of preventing that is by popping food into your freezer and you can freeze it right up until the use-by date. Another thing people did seem to think was you have to freeze it on the day of purchase. But it's perfectly fine to freeze it or eat it, obviously, right up until the use-by date. So if you're going through a slice pan that you bought on a Friday and by Sunday, there's still three quarters of it there. You know you're not going to use it. Just freeze it. And that's the thing, bread is perfect for that. You can either freeze the whole thing when you do buy it and or, you, as you say, if you find you're not getting through it as well as you thought you could, pop the bits of it into the freezer. And some people like to like to portion it and freeze it yeah. and other people just throw the whole whole loaf in. I find if you've got like a, you know, a brown bread or something, you're better off slicing it so that you can pull it out slice a few slices at a time rather than having, because then you're p- presented with the same problem again when you do yeah, take it out. Yeah. You've suddenly got this Absolutely. big loaf of bread. Again, and is, is there is there a lot of food we can freeze? Yeah, people, this is part of our campaign, actually. On our website, stopfoodwaste.ie, we have an A to Z of food. And for each item, you can go into it and it'll tell you if it can be frozen and how best to freeze it. But like, did you know that onions can be frozen? No. You know, there, you know there's really obvious things, obviously things like bread and cheese and milk, but onions can be frozen. How do you freeze an yeah. onion? Do you chop so it? Onions, you chop it the same way as if you're preparing it for dinner. And it's great, actually, because sometimes people don't use a whole onion when they're yeah. making it for dinner, continue to chop it <laughs> and then just throw the diced onion into a bag and into the freezer and then you've got diced onion for your next meal. You can freeze peppers, you can freeze cauliflower, you, you know, so there's loads of things that you may never have thought of freezing and they can be, garlic can be frozen, ginger can be frozen. If you just freeze 
ginger in small pieces and then you can grate it from frozen when you need it because ginger is a big one you know you buy a big root of ginger yeah. and then you only use a handful of it well for you your, use for it yeah you use it for the dinner you're cooking and then suddenly you're looking at the ginger shriveling up in the fridge and it eventually gets dumped exactly so cut it into smaller pieces and freeze it and then you can grate it as you need it and you don't even have to cut it actually if you're going to grate it you know so this is what we're trying to highlight here where I I think, you know, we tend to think of just a few things that can be frozen and actually there's loads of stuff that can be frozen. And, you know, we did hear that as well at the beginning of restrictions. People were buying extra freezers, you know, so people are are aware of this kind of stuff, but we just maybe don't think about it. And we like to remind people every now and again that get your freezer to work for you. Eat it if you can. And if you don't get to eat it on time, pop it in the freezer. And then you mentioned you can freeze an item right up to its use-by date. What is the difference between the use-by, the best-before, the sell-by... Yes, this and and Judy, you know, we were quite surprised. We thought there was an awful lot of confusion about all these different dates, but we actually found in our survey that there was quite a good understanding of the difference between the dates. So, people understand that eighty understand that a use by date is there for food safety, and you shouldn't eat the food after that date. But they also understood that a best before date is only a guideline, and it does not mean bad after. So, food is perfectly fine to eat after that date, and then a sell by date you'll probably find that they're not being used as much now because um, a lot of the, the supermarkets stopped using them because they were only for their stock control and you know they've probably come up with their own types of secret codes now that people yeah. tried to break but really they were just for them to know when they need to move things on and they were causing extra confusion by having three different types of dates but we were quite I'm pleased to see that in general the Irish population do have a good understanding of the difference between use by and best before dates and in fact if I remember rightly we're above the European average so we're good well on done. that that's one of the good things yeah. and, but the use by date you say you've got to throw it out even if it still looks okay this is I think this is what we're trying to say here is that you shouldn't let yourself get to that stage that okay. you're wondering is this okay or not and really you know there there's you know there's there's high risk of sort of bacteria and things like that growing that you may not see on your food I know loads of people kind of take it as a badge of honour that they eat things after the use by date yeah. but our point is don't have yourself wondering that so okay. you know be aware of the dates that you have and as we said if you're not going to use it pop it in the freezer or cook it you know cooking it is fine too but really we're just trying to highlight that don't let yourself be in that situation where yeah, you're wondering yeah. may I can I eat this can I not eat this and really that, that's what we're trying to say here so. and then I think my tip that I would have got from uh, my late uh, mother God be good to her shopping with the food list my mother never went out on a Friday morning without her food list which was made up on a Thursday night the shopping list where the you know the food cupboard was checked the fridge was checked so therefore she never bought something that we didn't need for the following week yes and not only that but you know by doing that she had a plan like I think sometimes when you talk about meal planning people panic a bit because you kind of think of you know this grid of the whole week and what you're eating and all of that but literally something as basic as a shopping list and based on what you have and knowing then what you need that's the best thing you could have and in fact we did find that during the the first national lockdown people were using shopping lists more and because you wanted to get in and get out nobody wanted to be hanging around in, in the supermarket and people were also being more aware of what they already had at home and using them because there were certain products that you couldn't get if you know there were things like tomato, tin tomatoes and 
pasta and rice, I think, that there were shortages of. So people started rooting around in their cupboards and using what they had. And all of these are actually perfect behaviours for reducing food waste. So I suppose one of the things we are trying to say to people is try and remember that behaviour. Don't lose it. When, yeah. you know, I s- I've now. certainly noticed in the supermarket, I've seen so many more people now and you see them with their shopping list. Uh, in yeah. in their hand and it's uh, you can have it on your phone as well it's so easy to do it now as well that's it I know some couples who share a list on, on apps you know so that you know somebody <laughs> there's you know, potions <laughs> somebody you. might throw milk on it and someone's, someone's in the supermarket so they buy the milk you know that kind of thing so it can look it can be a simple I'm a pen and paper person myself yeah. I, I I love technology but for lists I, I love lists but for my shopping list I like to have a piece of paper that I can bring with me but what I do is I actually do keep a whiteboard on the front of the fridge and as things come into my head I'll put them on the board so that we don't forget them and then we'll do a check before we go to make sure that we don't have those already and the other thing I think we've spoken about this before is just take a photo of the inside of your fridge if you're in a real hurry and that way when you're going around the supermarket you have a quick look to see what you have that's clever you don't have to remember that is clever (laughs) Um, are many of us using the brown bins for organic waste because we are are going to there is going to be some food we're going to end up uh, uh, dumping are we are we getting better and are many Absolutely. of us using those? Yeah, no, we are. We're getting much better. I think, you know, that's partly because they've become more available as well. And in fact, you know, there, there's legislation there that, you know, people in urban conurbations need to, should be provided with a brown bin. So for any of your listeners who may be wondering if they don't have one, they need to check with their waste collector and ask for one. But we found that there's always going to be some element of food waste. What we're trying to do is get people not to throw away perfectly good food, but, you know, with peelings and, you know, and we have found that, that because we're preparing much more meals at home, we're, we're obviously, you know, we've got food preparation waste that we're putting in our brown bins. And after not wasting food in the first place, using your brown bin correctly is the best thing that we can do with our food waste. What happens to that food waste, by the way? In general, it goes it goes either for composting or what's called anaerobic digestion. So if it goes for composting, that then becomes a lovely soil enricher and it can be spread in agricultural land horticultural uses and then for anaerobic digestion you also get um, energy from the process as well so that helps you know provide power but that's they're the, they're the kind of I think it, you know that this kind of ha- having things go for centralised composting is is kind of the, there's a really high temperature there so all those those things will get composted well but some people do have home composting Yeah well. I've had a number of listeners say when we said we'd be talking about that saying that they're home home composting we've other feeding wild animals. We've one listener who puts any waste food out and she feeds four foxes at night. Foxes. Mm. When we see them around the urban areas quite a lot as well. But I think, look, you know, the best thing we can do is reduce our food waste in the first place, Mm. not to be throwing away perfectly good food, which obviously is just a waste of money. And not only is it a waste of money, but all the resources that have gone to make that food, you know, the fertiliser, the water, the energy, the fuel to transport it to refrigerate it all of that has been going to waste as well if you throw away food food. Well I think what I was blown away by was the fact that it can be as much as 700 euro per household it's a staggering amount of money 
Yeah. And look, you know, I've been talking about food waste for a number of years now. And what I always find is when you start talking to people, they always think, oh, we only waste a little bit. But yeah. once you get them talking and being a little bit more aware of it, they realise it might be more than a little bit. And then if you start to equate that to a little bit of money, what we often do when we work with people is we get them even just for a week to kind of keep a, a diary of the food waste that you're throwing away and throw a value beside it. And if you add all that up, you'd be shocked how quickly it all yeah, adds up. Yeah, I, I think when I got that brown bin, that organic bin, when that arrived into our house and I was thinking, being very smug, saying, oh, if I have to put this out once a year, I'll have nothing in mind. I couldn't get over the amount that was going into it. I really was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it made me stop and think, okay, listen. And that's it. You'll be more aware if you yeah. use your brown bin, you're definitely more aware of Absolutely. what you are throwing away. So you'll reduce it naturally. Okay. Listen, Odile, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. And uh, stay safe. Okay. Take Thank care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Odile LeBlanc, who is with the Environmental Protection Agency. She is an environmental scientist, giving us all tips on how we can save a bit of money. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie, you're taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Or today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And for Cathy, he was looking for the PlayStation 5. Lehman Mitchellstown was on to say he got a PlayStation 5 at Tesco in Mallow. And uh, I'm sure Cathy was contacting us from Mallow, wasn't she? Uh, and and uh, Liam says he also knows Tesco.ie had them as his cousin managed to get one from Tesco.ie. And Damien in Clonakilty has just been on to advise residents in the greater Clonakilty area of two men travelling in a red Peugeot van, offering to clean outside windows and drain pipes, etc. Damien had agreed to have the work done for €100, but when he asked for ID, uh, they decided they weren't interested and he took off. So he has contacted his local Garda station. Let's stay on the theme of Gardaí, because we're going to Skibbereen Garda station, where Sergeant uh, Trina O'Mahony uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Trina. Good morning, Patricia. Um, on, On that particular one, you'd always or on the side of somebody calling to your door offering work to say go with a local company instead, wouldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. Just hearing there what Damien did was exactly the right thing to do. Um, If you're in doubt at all, um, certainly do ask for identification, but if you're in doubt at all, go with somebody that you're familiar with and that is reputable to you. Yeah, okay. And well done. I know Damien has contacted the, the local uh, Gardaí yeah. in, in Clam. Okay, we want to start with our Garda file today with uh, crime. Good to hear very low levels of crime. That's right, yeah. We've very little to share with you this morning, Patricia. Over the past two weeks in the Corkwest Division, there's very low levels of, of unsolved crime, which is great news. But there was an episode of criminal damage. There was, absolutely. Um, Gardaí McCroom are investigating damage which would cause the bonnet of a car in the upper Massey Town area of McCroom. That would have been on the 18th of November overnight actually from the 17th around 10pm uh, between that time and 10am the following morning the 18th of November. Um, it appears that a car was possibly keyed or damaged using keys in that incident. And if anyone in the McCroom area would have any information we'd appreciate if they would get in touch with the Gardaí at McCroom. Station. Okay, and people are being very compliant with the level five restrictions, uh, Trina. They certainly are. Yeah, I suppose we should really. We, it's good to take the opportunity to acknowledge that the remarkable level of compliance. I suppose one could say with the COVID regulations um, over the past number of weeks uh, under the level five restrictions, it really is um, really great. 
Okay. Now, we want to uh, use the opportunity because we're not reporting crime, thank God, uh, to offer some advice. And today, we want to talk about vehicles and getting winter ready. I mean, we, we are right bang in the middle of winter with the way the weather has been this week and last week, for sure. Absolutely, that's right. And I suppose on that note, then I'd like to highlight the importance of ensuring that your vehicle is winter ready. And also just ask listeners to have an awareness of how their vehicle might impact on other road users. Uh, in particular, now that we are in the hours of darkness for nearly 16 hours a day, and even in daylight hours, if there's bad weather or a dull day, visibility can still be quite poor. Um, so I suppose firstly, on that note, in relation to your own vehicle, the following should all, always be considered. Everyone is advised to have their car serviced ahead of the winter months to make sure that they are ready for the onset of any poor weather conditions that might be coming our way and have indeed already. Um, throughout the winter, though, I suppose once that's done, people need to consistently check some basic things um, so I suppose on that note, then the following things like your tyres, your tyres should be checked always. Check your tyre treads and pressure, including your spare. And while the minimum legal limit is 1.6 millimetres, a minimum thread of three millimetres is advised for winter driving. Um, in relation to lights, then make sure that all your indicators and lights are working and that they're clean uh, regularly. If you discover a headlamp is blown, have it replaced. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Don't delay. Drivers likely don't need to be reminded, I suppose, of the obvious dangers if lights are not working. Um, but, they, they, you know, they will have impaired visibility. Sorry, Patricia. But don't forget that it may also make their vehicle less visible or confuse other road users. Yeah, we've all been in a situation where you think it's a motorbike is coming against you because there's only one light working. That's and suddenly exactly. when it's upon you, it's a car. Yeah. That's exactly it, yeah. And okay. that would, you know, that could cause a, an oncoming driver not to take enough evasive action to keep, you know, a safe distance between you or whatever. Um, also, I suppose, if, be aware that if you're driving behind another vehicle, if one of your headlamps is blown, it generally causes the other headlamp to be much brighter than it should be. Oh. And this can cause the driver in front of you to be blinded. So just okay. be, bear in mind, bear that in mind when you're, when you're out driving. 
Um, the other thing I suppose with regards to lights is to make sure that you only use your fog lights when it is appropriate. Um, you know, it can cause oncoming vehicles to be blinded if you're using your fog lights when there isn't actual fog. But on the other hand, we would equally want people not to forget to use them when there is, you know, poor visibility. Bad yeah, fog I, or, I, I can't get over any time we have a foggy morning, uh, Trina. Uh, we will inevitably get a number of calls from people saying, would you tell other motorists to turn on their fog lights? Exactly. People just yeah. forget something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. people forget. And, and then on the other hand, some people never turn them off. So yeah. just to have an awareness, how do you turn on your on and off your fog lights? Okay. And and just think about that when you're when you're setting out um, on your journey. Um, the other things I suppose to, to, to have checked, you know, frequently is the oil level in the car and the other thing would be liquids. Make sure that there is enough water um, in the car. Make sure that there's um, adequate antifreeze mixed into the water and also coolant and screen wash and all of that. You know, and I suppose if you're in any doubt about those things, go to your mechanic and make sure that those things are correct. The other thing which would be electrics. Check the dashboard. Is there any morning lights coming on in your car when you're about to embark on a journey? If there is, you know, make sure you know what that means and make sure you have it checked if, if it's something that should be checked. And then windscreen wipers. Make sure that they're adequately in working order and have them replaced uh, on a regular basis. Uh, we're told that about every 12 months would be a good interval to have your windscreen wipers replaced. Okay, and then be prepared for the unexpected. That's it. Um, I suppose, again, things that you should probably have in your car all the time, uh, but again, coming into the winter months, even more importantly, so you never know what might you, you might encounter. You could have an unexpected breakdown. You could be delayed if you're on a long journey by um, some other event on the road. So things that you should always consider having in your car, a high-visibility vest, a hazard warning triangle, should you, uh, you know, have to, to pull in or should you break down a torch that is working? Make sure that it has uh, batteries in it, spare fuses and bulbs, de-icing equipment, both for glass and for door locks, a first aid kit and a map or GPS. Um, again, your mobile possibly has GPS and just make sure that your mobile is um in power when you have it with you in the car. Okay, and then the, the general advice then when the weather does begin to turn uh, and when we get weather warnings, just be aware of what the weather conditions are going to be if you're embarking on a journey. Absolutely, yeah. Um, listen to the weather forecast and take any necessary precautions then if if um, if it's forecasting any hazardous conditions. First, I suppose consider whether your journey is necessary. If the conditions are so, so hazardous, you know, don't don't take the journey if it's not absolutely necessary. The second thing, I suppose, if you are travelling and there's heavy rain or flooding, never travel through a flood. You don't know how deep it might be. So always just find an alternative route to your destination. Also, in heavy rain, again, be mindful of your grip on the road. Slow down. Your stopping distance will have been impacted. Again, you know, always... Um, keep a safe distance between you and the car in front of you. I always think, you know, people should always think maybe there's a reason why the car in front of me is travelling slower than I am. Maybe I haven't seen that reason yet. Um, So just stay back and then only overtake when it is safe to do so. And again, with regards to the safe stopping distance, there's normally a two-second rule. um, And again, in bad weather, you need to allow longer than that. So just stay well back. Okay, and and be aware of pedestrians and uh, cyclists, but obviously pedestrians and cyclists have a role to play as well, uh, Trina, in that they need to be seen. Absolutely, yeah. 
I'm particularly appealing that before you're heading out onto the roads, whether you're walking or cycling, that you just stop and think, can I be seen? And make sure you're wearing appropriate high visibility clothing day or night and have appropriate lighting on your bicycle. And the other thing to remember at this time of the year is the, the sun when it's setting is actually at a very low level and it's, it's very, very blinding, more so than it might be at other times of the year. So just, uh, you know, bearing that in mind, it really does affect the visibility of both the the cyclists, the pedestrians, but also of the road user, the driver. Yeah. If you are out cycling or, or running or whatever, a driver mightn't see you. Yeah, OK, just to be careful, we want to keep everybody safe. And before you Absolutely. go, um, we're always trying to keep updated, uh, keep people updated on various scams and they seem to change uh, almost on, on, not even on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. There is a scam uh, purporting to be from UPS. That's right. Um, I suppose I just wanted to highlight this briefly, particularly when so many people are shopping online and having goods delivered at the minute, they could easily fall victim to this scam. What we're being told is happening here is that um, a receiver will get a text message to their phone, which reports to be telling them that they that a delivery company has been having difficulty in delivering their package because there is customs owed on it. So the receiver has been told to follow a link to pay customs. Oh. And this link, of course, is included in the text. And if you do follow the link, you're ultimately led to provide payment details. And we just want people to be aware this is absolutely a scam. Don't be entertained by it in any way. Don't download the link and do not provide any payment details. Um, and I suppose so many people are expecting packages at the moment that they mm. might be, you know, if they're not aware of it, they might be you know, quick enough to just open it up and, and think that it's it's genuine. Um, if you are expecting a package, you won't be alerted in this way to seek further payment. So contact the delivery company directly if you want to make any inquiries about okay. your delivery. OK, listen, we leave it there. Uh, Trina, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. You're very welcome. Good Thank morning, you, Sergeant uh, Trina. Bye-bye, Sergeant Trina Omani, based at Skibbering Garda Station. We're talking about waste food. Listen, Trish, you've got the, the website for information on foods that could be frozen above and listener. It's just stopwastefood.ie. Or you just literally Google Stop Waste Food. It will come up. Actually, I was on the website yesterday. It's from the EPA. Really, really good. You know, when you get on a website and you start clicking on different links on it and I, I think I wild away an hour was gone without me even realising it. But yeah, stopwastefood.ie. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. Talk about uh, teachers for a moment because there's some commentary in some calls and comments in about teachers. This is reacting to yesterday's programme when I we were talking about the fact that the Teachers Union of Ireland had made a call to the Minister for Education to extend the Christmas break uh, because they say it will be a morale boost for teachers after a nine-month struggle through uh, COVID and that it will allow teachers more time off uh, over Christmas and the TUI, the Teachers Union of Ireland, spoke about the stress that teachers and students uh, were under and that some of them were more fatigued than uh, normal because this wasn't a normal school year and there's whether they should get an extra, I think it's two days holidays 
even though I think it worked out at a day and a half because it's the they want to close up on the Friday the 18th instead of the following Tuesday which they're due to close and there's always a half day isn't there for the Christmas break so it will be the Monday and the half day Tuesday there are somebody pointed out to me if they closed on the Friday instead you guaranteed they'd have a half day on the Friday as well so they still get their two days off anyway we mentioned that and I was asking listeners views on it yesterday and we had a uh, so many angry callers and texters to the programme giving out about school teachers. Now there was some came in defence of teachers but certainly I would say 80% of the commentary that we received in yesterday were for were people very much against the notion that teachers should be getting any additional time off and lots of people were saying you know that there's other essential services out there who worked and have worked right throughout the pandemic. People who never took, were never out of work are never working from home since the pandemic began back in March and you know people citing the schools were closed even the teachers would say they were working from home during all of that uh, time and that was back again then to the argument of some teachers were great during lockdown when the schools were closed other parents were saying that their teachers for their children did little or nothing uh, with them and anyway as I say, a lot of angry callers yesterday and there's a kind of a, a spin-off today because there's still some commentary coming in. Anna is a school teacher. She contacted us this morning. She's at home at the moment because she was diagnosed with, uh, with COVID. She said, I'm struggling to breathe. She said, I think we do need the extra time off before Christmas. This is a, an awful, awful virus. Anna has decided, she said, I'm changing my job after all of this because we're only being used as babysitters. So obviously Anna was very annoyed hearing some of the commentary that was coming into the programme uh, yesterday. And then an email into Patricia at c103.ie uh, from Stella saying, if teachers are looking for extra time off because they're burnt out and they're fatigued after this stress of and the struggle of COVID-19. What about nurses? What about other frontline workers? Uh, particularly when teachers say one of the excuses that was used where they need extra time off is they're wearing masks in the classroom and they have to force their voices every day in order to be heard down the back of the classroom and it's putting a strain on some of the teachers' voices and on their throats. Um, Stella is saying nurses and other frontline workers have to wear masks all day. Will they get extra time off? I doubt it, said Stella. So I'm assuming if I asked Stella what way she would vote in in a poll of should teachers get time off or not, I think I know what her answer would be. And then there was two texts in first thing uh, this morning. Uh, One says, re-teachers, hi Patricia, I just can't believe such negativity towards teachers. It's four years undergraduate study followed by two years on a master's which can cost €11,000 and is unpaid training. Teachers are not babysitters. Childcare is parents' responsibility. So to all those people texting in such nasty comments yesterday, I say go ahead and apply if you think it's a cushy job. There are lots of vacancies there at the moment and I'm assuming that's either from a teacher or somebody who has a teacher in the family. And then another text in saying some of our teachers have gotten so carried away with their own self-importance that they think they are the only ones doing anything worthwhile during this pandemic. It is so sickening to listen to them. Granted, they have an important 
role, but do they ever stop reminding us of that? Perhaps they should be reminded of the people who tend the elderly, people who keep the shelves stocked and the shops open, couriers, bus drivers, not to mention our nurses and doctors. What recognition have they received? Many teachers did little or nothing during the start of this pandemic, yet each and every one of them got full pay. Yes, they can still hold the country to ransom at every opportunity. Thanking you, said somebody not happy with the teachers. OK, anyway, that's just some of the spillover from yesterday. 1850-333-103. And then a massive reaction to John, one of our listeners who contacted me earlier about Dublin Zoo. And I don't know if I can find John's uh, comment or not because it was it was a very lengthy text indeed. Uh, John was is very much against the news story that broke yesterday where Dublin Zoo came out and said that they need a bailout. And they were talking about the fact of how much it is costing to run Dublin Zoo. The food alone for Dublin Zoo is a half a million euro a month. The zoo has been closed. I don't know, did it open for a short period of time during the summer months? But anyway, they haven't had people through the door properly since we went into lockdown and they're now getting to the stage where they're running out of money and so there was a big appeal yesterday. The appeal to the general public worked well because they've managed to get in about a million euro in pledges but it's now fallen on the government and the government said they will not be found wanting and even the Taoiseach Micheál Martin yesterday says I intend to act on this and intends to help out Dublin Zoo and also Photo Wildlife Park. John feels crazy if they have that kind of money available to them then it should be given to charities. A charity he cited was Cork Penny Dinners and he said we've got people in this country going hungry and that's where the money should be going. So, and I gave out his comments to see where were, where were others on this particular point? Here are some of the commentary we received. Eileen from Ovens. How would closing the zoo in Dublin change the cost of feeding and maintaining the animals? Do they intend sending the animals back to where they came from? Uh, no, Eileen. I think the what's been what would be suggested is if they close the zoo, they'll have to relocate the animals around the world. They certainly won't be sending them back out into the into the wild. But the zoo then would cease to exist, and the animals would go to I suppose other zoos. If there are other zoos that would take them. In. Hi Patricia and John Paul this is from Anne John who texted you about the zoo hasn't a clue what he is talking about there is nobody starving in this country and you can't put those innocent animals out as they only know what it's like to be brought up in captivity they would never survive in the wild the government have to pay for feeding these poor creatures and the government were getting the revenue out of the zoo when the revenue was up and running the people of Ireland are not dying of hunger it is the virus that is killing people in this country it is uh, nothing to do with starvation and that is from Anne thank you for that Anne and then some of your texts in on this oh my god says the texter. Feed humans first and give that money to urgent procedures for children who are suffering. On another subject, I observed a huge amount of young males totally ignoring hand sanitizers while going into shops, which is a real shame. Helena says, don't, this is to the government, don't give millions of euro to the GAA. Give it to the zoo. Give it to other charities instead. 
Hi, Patricia. I have to agree with John, who contacted you about the, zoo- the zoos. We have better causes in this country to help out rather than the zoo. And I include both Dublin Zoo and Photo Island. Both Dublin Zoo and Photo are not a cheap day out when families decide to visit. They must have plenty of money made over the years. Fund Penny Dinners, fund St Vincent de Paul, the Simon community and all of the other charities that are struggling to help uh, people. Well, in Dublin Zoo's defence, they did say yesterday that they have been dipping into their reserves and the reason that they decided to go public yesterday was they're running out. So they any money that they have been building up over the years when people were flocking through the gates, they're using that money and they're they've come they're coming to the end of it. They're running out of money. That's why they went uh, public. Somebody else by text, thank you for your text. Somebody else says, yes, support the zoo. It is absolutely necessary. Now the texter says, I think zoos are played out. Never liked them. Caged animals. Other zoos will take them right across the world. Offer them free to any other zoo across the world that wants them. And of course you will have clients. It's all about Dublin as usual. Close it, please. Meg says, what we need to point out to John, your initial texter, is that zoo-reared animals cannot possibly survive out in the jungle or in the wild. That's why the breeding of endangered species goes on in a zoo setting and that's what's been happening in this uh, country and indeed in every other zoo. And then some of your calls, um, Colm and Botman said those animals are in prison just so we members of the general public can look at them. They should never have been kept in captivity. I've always felt zoos are very wrong. Leave them back out into the wild. Donate the animals elsewhere so they can be reintroduced into the wilds. I don't know. Actually, we've got our... We have Jane, our resident vet, coming on. I'd be interested in her take on it. I don't know if they could ever be reintroduced into, into the wilds. And Margaret, uh, direct messaging us on the C103 Facebook page, said if the banks can be bailed out, then please, please, please bail out the zoos. And I don't know, OK, that's just a sample of some of the texts and calls uh, coming in. So kind of a, an even split. Some people supporting John and others saying, no, these animals have to be bailed out. Can I just stay on animals for a moment? Because you possibly heard this on the news, but in case you didn't, all the mink on farms in Ireland are to be culled over the next few weeks. And this is due to the COVID-19 uh, concerns. We spoke about this last week on the programme. It is a, a mutated strain of the virus that has been linked to mink farms in Denmark and we know Denmark is the country with the largest amount what we didn't know until this broke the largest amount of mink farms in the world and between 15 and 17 million minks are being culled in Denmark and there were three mink farms in Ireland one in Leash one in Donegal and one in Kerry and again I didn't even realise that there were mink farms in this country they make out up around 100,000 mink are in this country. So plans are now in place to have all of the mink in this country culled over the next uh, few weeks. And the farms will be allowed to use the remaining mink to make fur, but there will be no further breeding of mink in Ireland once they are gone. So COVID-19 has technically ended mink farming in this country country and I don't know what's going to happen in Denmark whether they will ever get back into mink farming or not but people who are against the use of fur by humans will see that as a real positive to come out of the COVID-19 story the ending of mink farming 
in this country. 1850 Somebody wanted to know, this was an interview that we carried last uh, week for the number of the high. I'm wondering, where's the place in Bandon that are helping out with food? This is the Feed Cork group that have now decided to extend its services to Bandon and out into the West Cork area. It's the food, it's the Feed Cork, their food bank. I'll give you a number. It's a mobile number. It's 89 226 that's 89 and then the food gets distributed from the town hall in Bandon and if my memory serves me right they're going to be distributing that the food uh, today Thursday I think today is going to be day one so I give them a call now 089 2269408 The C103 Cork Diary with Cork County Council celebrate a real Cork Christmas find out more at corkcoco.ie Kildallery Community Development are holding their weekly lotto draw. Uh, that's in uh, Kildallery, four o'clock this afternoon in the community office. This week's jackpot is €1,200 and tickets are on sale locally. And the running fireman, Alex O'Shea, is asking people to take on the challenge of helping his virtual guide dog to travel the world in 80 days and raise funds for the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind to join the fun. Simply make a donation to justgiving.com around the world in 80 days and send in your kilometres or miles. You can check it all out on facebook.com forward slash challenge Alex. And Castle Magna Community Development Association will have their book When I Was Knee High published in time for Christmas. If you'd like to reserve a copy you can ring Mary on 086 0717761. Okay, let me just quickly go to the phone line. Joan uh, in Formoy is on the line. Morning to you, Joan. Good morning, Tricia. Uh, you want to support the zoo? I'll tell you, I was actually heartbroken to realise they were in such financial straits, if you call it, last night. And I can't understand how anybody could possibly be against giving some little thing or supporting the zoo. Because the animals, I mean, I love all animals, but even the dangerous animals, they all are literally, they're lovely for children, they're lovely for adults, and I think it's a wonderful facility. And I could never understand that people wouldn't actually throw some few euros. I myself, I wouldn't be a millionaire, but I intend putting some small amount. Well done, well done. Well, well, I know when they when they made the appeal yesterday, even 1. the... 1.1 million. Yeah, it's incredible. I it think, was wonderful. Yeah, it's a much loved facility and we all have memories of either going there ourselves yeah, as children. children. Yeah, yeah. But like, I know people, literally, they say are starving, but thank God there are brilliant organisations. And nowadays, I think the vast majority of people are not literally left without food. There are a lot. Now, there are some, but most of them. But I still can't see animals. We feed a hedgehog here every night. Yeah. We leave out stuff for foxes. We have our neighbour's cat, which we adore. It's like ours. We're part owners. <laughs> And what bugs me is, and this may not be that relevant, um, we have councils here. And now I don't know what fund, but council seems to drag money out of specific funds. We have faked grants.
grass in the town of Formoy, which is literally taking up about seven to eight parking spaces. Uh, they had money for a concrete jungle, I call it, across from the park. I mean, money has gone into so many stupid, ridiculous things in this town that I can't see how people wouldn't be uh, in agreement with giving donations to a zoo. And so therefore you are in agreement with the government helping to bail out. Of course yeah. I am. And because it's going to need, if, it, if it's a half a million a month and them. let's be honest, it's we'll be lucky if next summer the zoo is open and they're getting the same number of people going through. I mean, if, you know, that won't happen until we've got enough people vaccinated. So, you know, they could be this no, time next year just struggling. So and they're going they, to need a lot more than the general public can give them. So yeah, the government have course, to, if we want to keep... Well, well, Michal Martin, in fairness, is yeah. uh, he says he absolutely intends to act on it. Yeah, All right. I mean, okay. I love watching it and I, I'm nearly teary-eyed when an animal has to be put down. They have that lovely programme on TV, don't yeah, they, about it? Yeah, it's great. Night, I think, or yeah. a lot of nights. But yeah. even that red-haired man was heartbreaking last night looking at him. Well, it's, it's tough on them. It's tough yeah, on the workers. No, I just feel okay. anybody that could, that wouldn't, I don't mean everybody can give, but that would be against the government or individual small donations. Mine might be 20 to 50 euros. But, but they all add up. It's just... That's what uh, makes that 1.1 million that they've re- that yeah, they received. Yeah, gesture. Okay. And when I think of how animals are ill-treated and how poor donkeys back in Liscal have been mistreated, you know. Yeah, I wonder, I, how mean, they're, I wonder how they're getting on. They, they're, they're close to visitors yeah, as well. Yeah, and I really wanted to buy their cards and the guide dogs, but so far I haven't kind of... Um, sourced them anywhere yeah. at the moment. Okay, I know, you you can, know, I know they're doing it online or if you contact them, they'll post them out to you. Yeah. It's the best way. Okay, I'll leave it there, Joan. Thank okay. you for that. Stay safe. Look after yourself. Somebody said you're discussing, you were discussing food waste on the programme uh, this morning, Patricia. Why not feed it to the zoo instead? And just obviously on food waste, when we were talking about food and that you could freeze so much food. Somebody said frozen food is not the same. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people would say that it's not the same, but isn't it better to freeze the food than to let it go to waste. I think that's the point that Odell, the environmental scientist, was making. Freeze it rather than throw it into the bin. And somebody says, Trish, can you tell me the vaping shop in Mallow, is that open? And by the way, the, the PlayStation 5 is unavailable on Amazon. I was looking for it as well. Well, it might be unavailable on Amazon. Shop local because we got we had somebody already this morning who said they got it in Tesco in Mallow. So by shopping local, it's not it's not all about online. And the vape shop in Mallow, uh, yes, it's open for uh, click and collect. If you go through their Facebook page, it's it's they're certainly doing click and collect. 1850-333-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 086-2103-103. And get your pet questions in for Jane Pickett, please. 1850-333-103. And a quick look down through a last bunch of texts that have come in. I mentioned mink and mink farming. Looks like it's going to, it is going to cease in this country. Uh, there's going to be a cull of the mink. 100,000 mink that are currently on farms in this country. Three farms in, in total. And following that call, there'll be no more mink farming in Ireland. A couple of people have been on saying what's to be done about the mink. 
mink that are already living in the wild. Patricia, do you know it's a considerable concern? Somebody else says, what about the mink that have escaped and killed fish in the rivers and hemp and chickens, hens and chickens, etc., who was going to catch them? I don't think the wild, they would be deemed now wild mink, are at any risk because the corona, this mutant strain of the coronavirus was brought into a mink mink farm by a worker who passed it on to the mink who then passed it back on to the human. So the mink that are in the wild wouldn't have been in contact with any of the humans who carries the coronavirus are in contact with any of the ones that are uh, in the uh, in the mink farm. So there's there seems to be absolutely no risk at all to the ones that are in the wild. Hi Patricia, as the mother of two teachers, primary and secondary, so disappointing. Listening to them being slated constantly. They are so committed to their students and work doesn't finish when they walk out of school. They put in hours of preparation and they love coming up with ideas to make school more enjoyable. So please spare a thought for all those putting in the extra unpaid hours. That is from uh, Lisa. And there are many committed and fantastic and wonderful teachers and there always will be. And you think back to your own school days, there were some teachers who went above and beyond the call of duty and there was others and you questioned why they ever went into the vocation in the first place. So thank you for that uh, Lisa. On the Zoom Hi Patricia, what a lot of rot. Animals can't survive in the wild. It is their nature to live in the wild. Maybe if humans spend more time with nature, we wouldn't have the situation that we have today. John in Mallow says, on yesterday's conversation, we littering and dog fouling on our streets. Our local traffic wardens are also authorised litter wardens. They should be made to patrol the streets for litter rather than patrol the streets trying to catch people out with parking funds John is that your theory thank you for that and John, Tim and y'all Patricia I'm always responding to issues which I consider to be contentious so on this occasion I'm going to make a proposal related to the real frontline workers and I refer to those who have worked tirelessly during this horrible pandemic to keep all of us safe fed and healthy these people have put their own lives and their families' lives at risk on a day-to-day basis, working within the sphere of the general public, be it in retail, be it in hospitals, security staff and many, many other workers on the front line. My proposal is that these people be given time off with full pay. They deserve it. Teachers don't says Tim in uh, Yall, while another listener says, Hi Patricia, I see absolutely nothing wrong with giving the teachers the extra two days off. Now, I don't know if that's a teacher or not. And Bernie in Carrigaline. So, Sly Patricia, in relation to the lady who contacted you, re-ink cartridges, broke from all the ink cartridges and was complaining that she felt some local shops had put up the price of ink cartridges and she felt that they were just kind of exploiting people because so many people are working from home and students are working from home and people who have printers at home are buying a lot more ink cartridges than they would during normal times. And this listener felt there was a bit of price gouging going on and that she said in her local shop, and she's big into shopping local, price of the ink cartridge went up by 20 euro. Now she ended up shopping around and getting it cheaper, but she just thought that that was unfair of local businesses uh, to do that. Bernie and Carrick Align to that listener has a suggestion. You need to switch to cartridge-free Printing, said Bernie. While the initial cost of a new printer is higher, you are saving in the long run with ink cartridges. Would highly recommend it, says Bernie in Carrigaline. If anybody else is broke from buying ink cartridges, switch to cartridge-free printing. 
1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. We need your pet questions now, please. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. By the way, seeing as we mentioned it earlier on the programme, the public consultation on the second phase of the M20 motorway Cork to Limerick has commenced this morning following an online briefing to the elected representatives from across the region. The project will be developed broadly within the existing N20 corridor via McCroom, Charleville, Butterfant, Mallow and uh, Blarney. Okay, and there will be obviously online consultation for the public on that as well. They won't be able to do the face-to-face one. 1850-333-103. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon. Uh, You're very welcome. And thank you for your message the other day uh, on our 30th birthday programme. Oh, <laughs> congratulations. It's such an achievement. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. I really appreciated all those messages. Now, listen, uh, we've had a lot, a number of calls in this morning about Dublin Zoo. You probably heard what happened in Dublin Zoo and the fact that they're running out of money and all of that. And some people are <laughs> suggesting if the zoo was to close, could all those animals go out and live, in, live send them back to where they came from, i.e. let them live in the wild? I'm saying that that possibly could, that surely could happen because those animals, many would have been bred in captivity. No, now I'll preface this with I'm no zoologist, so I wouldn't be the expert on this. However, most animals um, that would be, let's say, within a zoo environment would have either been bred in captivity or would have been, let's say, in that environment for a very long time. So they would have potentially lost the skills they would need to fend for themselves and to keep themselves alive and safe in the wild. So for them, they being put back into a wild environment would be really, really strange for them. Um, and for them, it would mean that they'd be put into a situation in a lot of cases where they wouldn't have the, the life skills um, to keep themselves safe, stress-free and fed. So in most cases, I would assume that that wouldn't be possible, unfortunately. Now, what I would say is a lot of... A lot of um, zoos out there do a really really great job at providing um as close to a natural environment as they can with lots of enrichment and large enclosures and lots of covers so that they're not let's say in contact with people a lot or in visual sight line of sight with people a lot to try and make it as normal as they can just for that for that animal to have let's say a stress-free and, and as happy a, as a as a time as it can have but um unfortunately most of those animals to my knowledge they would they would be animals that would be candidates for let's say release into the wild yeah and look at photos fantastic i mean that's as yeah. close to living in the wild those those animals and obviously Dublin Zoo is struggling so is FOTA so the government coming on board mm-hmm. uh, to bail them out okay let's get straight into questions for you Breather says hi Patricia would you please ask Jane the vet for advice I trapped and got two approximately four month old kittens neutered last Wednesday the plan was to keep them in a small room for 48 hours to recover before releasing them back out into the wild but says Breather I now can't turf them out one is coming towards me and is purring but the other is very scared. Now I have two elderly cats, indoor cats myself. One is 14, one is 15. I'm worried about introductions. How do I go about it? Mm-hmm. Well it sounds like these little cats have suddenly come to the realisation that they've, they've landed in their feet and being caught and trapped by this lovely, lovely caller um, who's taking care of them and, and responsibly getting them neutered. Um, I think it really depends on where you want to go from here. 
um, if they were, let's say, wild feral cats outside, which is, is what they sounded like, um, they may have, let's say, the, the early life skills to be able to survive in that environment um, and to hunt as a feral cat would. However, they may have decided that the, the quiet life is for them and that they prefer to, let's say, be owned and fed, which is, sounds like what's happening. Um, introductions to older cats can always be a real challenge. If you want to incorporate them into the household, I would try and keep them, let's say, um, at somewhat of a distance from your older cats because we need to keep everybody safe in that situation and adding further felines into the situation will always kind of upset the household dynamic a little bit at least for a little while until it settles and everybody learns what the pecking order is um, certainly while they're recovering um, after their neutering procedure for the next 7 to 10 days I wouldn't attempt to incorporate them into the household with the older cats until all that sort of because like ourselves after we have an operation sometimes we're a little bit grumpier than we might be usually and certainly when we're in introducing them to new members of the household you know we don't want any extra grump in there that, that will already be there with the situation so I would give it time um, I would just make sure that if you are incorporating those cats into the household or into kind of the household area outside make sure that they don't have to compete for resources so make sure that if you want those cats to stay around that there's more than enough food for those cats and your own senior cats so that there's no fighting over food as a resource but also lots of sleeping places lots of peeing places so lots of cat litter um, if they are let's say within the house itself now if you didn't want to incorporate those two little cats into your household and let's say you, you were good enough to catch them as, as feral cats get them neutered so that they wouldn't be let's say expanding the, the feral cat population anymore which is a great thing to do um, if they were feral to begin with they probably have the life skills to to manage themselves um so what i would say is uh, keep them in for their recuperation period but if you don't want to incorporate them into the household i would try and feed them far away from the house as far away from the house as you can for a few days to make sure they're okay and then they'll probably decide that they can hunt and fend for themselves elsewhere um, but it is certainly a challenge but well well done for yeah for and, stepping and, up and, and a lot helping of with the population and yeah well done breathe and a lot of patience you will you can if you really are dedicated to a feral cat you can turn the cat around mm -hmm. the little one that's nervous may always be nervous uh, but it's certainly it yeah. is it really is it's it's worthwhile but you need so much uh, patience okay uh, Jane my cat keeps looking for food but then when I put the food down won't eat it uh, I think it might be a kidney stone no I don't know where the where where what these them to believe it might be a kidney stone unless the cat had suffered from a kidney stone before Mm. Yeah, there could be a number of things going on here. I, I, Unless there was a history of, let's say, kidney or urinary issues, I wouldn't be jumping straight to, to a kidney stone as a problem, particularly if you haven't seen them, let's say, struggling to pee or, or anything like that. Um, I think it definitely sounds like something that needs dealing with. I would be a little bit concerned if they're looking for food and then not eating it, if there's something that's making them uncomfortable when they're eating. So it's they're hungry, but they, they want to avoid the discomfort of eating. So it could potentially be something as simple as a toothache that needs dealing with. Um, with cats, there's a lot of reasons that they won't eat. But one thing I would say is a, a cat that will not eat is a sick little cat because normally they will, they'll have to be really quite unwell or in quite a lot of pain before they will 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 won't eat because their instinct to the constant instinct will drive us cats is, is to keep themselves fed so they it takes a lot for them to overcome that and go off their food what i would say is regardless of what we think the cause is i would visit your vet for a full physical exam um, and i would certainly get that checked out yeah because it certainly is not uh, normal okay no. what is the treatment for a diabetic dog william wants to know 
so treatment for diabetic dog. Um, first of all, it's really important to work with your vet to fully diagnose that it is definitely diabetes. So the classic signs of diabetes in dogs is drinking more and peeing more, sometimes weight loss and sometimes changes in their vision as well, because um, unfortunately, as part of diabetes, sometimes it can have a, it can cause knock on problems in the body like cataracts. Um, working with your vet you need to check that their their blood sugars are, are high over over a reliable period of time um but normally they'll start you on treatment which is insulin so essentially what diabetes is is that the pancreas one of the organs in the body that normally makes insulin which is a hormone that helps control our blood sugar levels stops working so we need to take over that function for that little dog and generally that will be in the form of insulin injections now it really depends on um on what what the story is with your dog as regards how much help it needs uh, but normally we will be taking over all of the insulin production for that dog so it will be usually be an injection twice a day with some types of insulin it's once a day okay that, that explains on what your vet guides that explains the question William wants to know is it possible to get tablets he obviously doesn't like the idea of the injections no unfortunately not now to my knowledge there is no tablet medication out there um and that'll generally be because insulin is something that needs to once it's required it needs to enter the body quickly and the quickest way of things entering and being absorbed into the body is generally through injection whereas let's say tablets take a little bit more time to be kind of uh, absorbed and assimilated into the body to do their work so no unfortunately to my knowledge tablets don't exist okay but you get you'll, you'll get used to it like, you and the dog yeah, I'm yeah, assuming and I, and I think if you're concerned about doing the injections, tell your vet about that. Don't be worried at all. We realise that for owners, it's a big thing having to learn to inject their own pet. But you'd be surprised once you get used to it, yep. it becomes part of the routine. And for your pet too, it becomes part of the routine. OK, Gary in uh, Mallow. I have a golden Labrador, 11 years old. He has a mass on his stomach. I know Labradors are prone to benign cysts as they get older. Doesn't seem to be bothering him and his appetite is OK and he's generally, you know, fine and his normal normal mm. self I'm wondering does it need to be investigated I would um, there's two ways of thinking about this um, I suppose the, the underlying question is if it was to be something serious would you want to go ahead and do surgery to remove it if it was possible um, to give them the best chance if that was appropriate if it was a mass that needed removing if the answer is yes, I, I really think you should visit your vet. Now, your vet will take a look and sometimes we'll have a, a bit of a gut feeling about whether it's going to be a good or bad news. But to be honest, a lump is a lump, unproven otherwise. Generally, we'll need to do some kind of diagnostics, whether that's taking a little sample with a needle or doing a little biopsy, a little surgical biopsy to send to the lab so the pathologists can look at what type of cells, what type of tissue it is and, and tell us uh, exactly what's going on. And it may be benign, it may be good news, it might just be a little fatty lump, but it's really important to, to know that fatty lumps um, that will be quite benign and harmless sometimes can look quite similar to some things that's a little bit more sinister so a cancerous lump so for peace of mind for Better yourself checks. I'd visit your vet and get some checks and done. then Mary says I have a boxer who has an itchy rash I've been attending the vet for two years trying to get to the bottom of it now my vet has come to the conclusion that we may never find the cause and therefore may never find the cure uh, what would Jane suggest? Yeah, this this is really a common frustration, both for vets and for owners. Um, we never want to see our pets itching and scratching and uncomfortable. Skin disease is incredibly complex, although it's something we can see visually on the surface. The causes underneath it can be really, really challenging because sometimes with a, a rash or let's say an infection, we're seeing the, the end point of something that may have been brewing in the skin for a little while. Sometimes looking back, it's difficult to see what caused it. 
sometimes it can be very challenging. It could be an, an allergy or let's say being in contact with something that's causing an irritation. But if you can imagine, if, if we were to have skin disease, we'd probably be asked by our, our dermatologists, you know, everything we're in contact with or the patterns of what we eat every day. But it's very difficult to ask a dog what they've been in contact with and everything they've eaten that day. So we can have extra challenges. What I would say is don't lose heart. The most important thing is comfort. So speak to your vet. I'm sure they'll sort you out with some, some medication to, to make things a little bit more comfortable. Although we might not be able to get to the bottom of it, we'll be able to make our pet comfortable. And that's always the priority. OK, all right. We leave it there. Uh, Jane, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat next Thursday. You too. Thank Thanks you. a million. Bye bye. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in uh, Newmarket. Just before I go, can I get in a quick few more texts? I can. Some texts in on teachers. Are the teachers having a laugh? Says Podge in Union Hall. They've been off most of the year on full pay and now they're claiming they're tired. Hi, on teachers getting two additional days off. I work in the public sector, says this texter, and we have been deducted three days from our annual leave just because management have decided to close for additional days over Christmas. Why should I not be given those days off with full pay? I put up with disruptions to my work since March. Teachers already get lots of time off, says that uh, texter and Anne. In Ballantempest, says Patricia, listening to all of the comments coming in today, I think the virus has brought out the most wonderful, kind and generous hearted people, but also it's brought out the worst in other people. Listening to the people who've texted in about teachers and time off and complaining about everything. It's just awful listening to some of those texts. Oh, and I have nothing at all to do with teachers, by the way. These people should stop and think and then go away and do something positive. Uh, regards, uh, regards, uh, says Anne in Ballantempa. Thank you for that. Um, um, uh, yeah, it definitely is a really mixed bag when it comes to the teachers, people for the teachers and uh, people completely against them. And then on Dublin Zoo, not everybody's happy with Micheál Martin and the government giving money to Dublin Zoo. Texter says on Dublin Zoo, how could Micheál Martin afford our taxpaying money to feed the animals in Dublin Zoo? Sure isn't he a great fella? How much a month is he giving to Penny Dinners to support them and all the rest of the charities in this country? Let's call a spade a spade here. We don't need expensive pets to drain the finances. We have enough people doing that. OK, that's where we wrap it up for today. Thank you to everybody who took time out to contact us today. Another busy programme. Uh, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. My thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls. And we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.